Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. And this is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of not only telling you how to play, but also which game systems you should be using. No, 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 no. We're going we're gonna to tell you all the game systems. He- <laughs> heck of a soft sell there, Bruce. Yeah. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier. This week, Jonathan is, is going to run uh, the topic, so I'm going to let him introduce it. <laughs> okay. So today I thought what we would do is have a nice, relaxed conversation about all the different types of systems there are <laughs> and what they're used for. And it's all going to fit within a two-hour window, right? Yeah. How many tapings are we doing of this? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah we're here for all the rest of the month. <laughs> if a system has any kind of Benny or like in Cortex, it has plot points or, or fate, yeah. what, the fate points, anything that has that sort of mer- meta-narrative token that could be cashed in to change what is happening in the game. Already, you're leaning towards that narrative or cinematic style. Well, yeah, they they have that in, well, that's not in Pathfinder I'm using, but basically in D20 Modern, they had the action points. Well, they do, well no, in Pathfinder, they do have the hero points. Yeah, and it was an advanced player's guide. Uh, um, they, uh, they, they, they let you... Okay, but I... Did, I, I agree with you, except the fact they implemented it in a way that basically nerfed them. You know, you, you had these action points, but you had to use them to, to re-roll before the GM told you what the effect was of your of your original roll. Or you could use them just to, okay, you know what, this is, you know, I want to put, let's see, the, um, because the action point was you roll a D6, and it was just add to your roll. Pathfinder hero points, it's a D8 when you roll, a D4 if you've made the roll, but it's before the GM has determined success or failure. So you can still use it, but the further along you get before the GM says yay or nay, it goes down by half. And there are other things for hero points they have, like you can burn two hero points in a round. Okay, this thing is going to kill me. Yeah, no, I'll burn two of my hero points to... Just be knocked down to zero when I stabilize. Yeah, hero points have been around for a very long time. In in, in um, a hero system, you could push abilities. Yes, yes, yes. So you know, which caused you to suffer enormous amounts of either stun or exhaustion, but you could still you know make that extra effort that you were trying for. You know, so they've all had this to a certain extent, but it, it hasn't been something that you would expect to be kind of. Part of the ongoing uh, right of uh, um, uh, resolution methodology. You know. They also um in again one of my favorite D twenty and it, it was a storyteller setting. It was the Trinity Universe, the adventure pulp part of that timeline. They had dramatic editing points, and it was the stat of inspiration which was split into intuition, reflection, and destruction. Now they would have things like okay, if you spend a point of intuition. Um, you know, snap decisions, you can throw that in there and it'll help you. 
reflection is like, okay, this is something I know it's going to take me eight hours to do. I'm digging deep into my memories. And then destruction would be either your destruction points, you could add a D4. So let's say you had a three destruction. Okay, on this one shot with my gun, I want to break that, you know, basically do a range sunder. Okay, I'm adding an extra 3D4 because I'm going to shoot that lock and destroy it or whatever. And then they had the dramatic editing points where you could use those same inspiration points to go like, okay, I'm trapped in a room. And other than the chair that I have, there is this trunk. Okay, I've managed to jimmy the lock open. I pull out, oh, there's a metal pipe in there. I never said there was a metal pipe in that thing. You never said there wasn't. Dramatic editing point, it's there now. And that's where the GM just, you know, raises the fingers. He's going to say something like, crap, I didn't say it. Okay, you blew the dramatic editing point. You now have this, you know. And so action points, hero points, and the dramatic editing points from Adventure. And I think they're also allowed in Adventure or um, Aberrant and Trinity, the superhero and far future settings in that timeline. But basically, yeah, no, that whole timeline and that whole setting, the Trinity universe, is also very cinematic, and it was whether it was Storyteller or for OGL, they put in the dramatic editing points, you know, and just it was based on, like, let's see, inspiration, I think, for the the daring, the people who had just feats every other level, charisma modifier, and then 1, 4, 7, 10, 13, 16, you got another point, and then out of those, you disperse them between those other three stats. So yeah, that was a very... Uh, narr- uh, yeah, narrative cinematic type thing that there has been for the OGL settings, despite D&D being a um, simulation survival type game originally. And they spread out and they made these mechanics to make it more hi, yes, I will, you know, jump across the chasm swinging on the chandelier type thing, you know. Um, but yeah, uh, oh, what was it? There was another point. It'll come back to it. Jonathan, um, Explain to us again about the plot points, about Cortex. You mentioned them when we talked about you doing Bureau 13, the Cortex system. Yeah, in in Cortex, uh, plot points could be used like bennies to sort of like, you could use them to add extra dice to your rolls. You could use use them to change dice or to, if you succeeded, you could add extra dice to your results so that your, your result was more powerful. Basically make it a critical success. Yeah, okay. uh, and it could also be used for when you had, if you were playing in a setting where you had special powers that allow you to, you know, break the rules of reality, you know, plot points would be used to fuel those. Like, if you're in a situation where like, oh, oh, I have the mind okay. control power, but I have to use a plot point to use it. Okay, the, the, the result... It was an interesting way of kind of limiting the power of ge- what would otherwise be a, like a game-breaking ability. So it's kind of also the resolve points in Starfinder would be another thing. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So we just said, we, we can use a blanket term here, and we've come up with our own lexicon over the years, and I'm using the parenthetical hand motions here. Of course, that's why I'm describing narrative points, or the narrative mechanic. Yeah, it, 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 it keeps things paced in such a way that, you know, usually it's in the player's favor, but it's about making the players a little bit more powerful and and less likely to completely fail at whatever their goal is. It allows the player to push the character and the group to push along the narrative of the mm-hmm. of the yeah. But it, it, it since it is a a finite point and they usually have a finite amount of them, you know they can't just run roughshod over the the 
the storyline. Well, they can, but only for a little while. Exactly. <laughs> Not for the whole game. Right. One thing that made me, uh, you were talking about that made me really uh, perk up was um, t- the Leverage RPG, which was based off an earlier version of the Cortex system. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It actually had a mechanic for the flashbacks, because if you've watched the Leverage show, every episode featured at least one flashback where they reveal, you know, something that they did off screen that you never saw that completely changes the situation at the end. And this game system included that where, you know, at a certain point in this in the session, you call for a flashback and the players can talk about how their character went and, you know, found the the villain's gun and replaced the bullets in it with blanks. So that's why when they shot your character just now, it didn't work. It was it was an interesting way of adding that sort of meta narrative in a a retro, you know, retcon sense of, aha, I might have failed this role, but I'm going to call for a flashback where <laughs> where I didn't fail this role, where this role was actually meaningless. Okay, so one, it's kind of like where Bill and Ted, you know, they go back in time and then drop the garbage can on the guy. Exactly. And two, the end of Bill and Ted's. <laughs> and two, if you had these these plot points for the flashback. Did you sit there and had to do like Wayne and Garth doing the wiggly fingers going, okay, I'm going to do this. And everybody at the table goes, you know what? I will now. You're welcome, sir. You're welcome. Oh, see, I help out. I help out my friends like that. Yeah. Just, yeah. I just, that scene from Wayne's world. As soon as you were saying that, I'm thinking I'm seeing Mike Myers and Dana Carvey in my head going, yeah, but, um, no, so the narrative mechanic, and as I said, if you look throughout games, folks, you're going to find it. You're going to find, wait a minute, it's a finite set of points that helps your character do something or do it better or do something you normally couldn't do, and it also pushes the story along. They can be used for either one. Yeah, just that's part of the official Gaming on the Frontier lexicon, the narrative mechanic. Just, I'll, I'll, I'll start writing up the list sometime and like post it in groups. <laughs> And at the end of the day, really, if, if it's helping a character, it's moving the story along, presumably. Well, yeah. Unless you have a character who's just going completely off the reservation and and using up the uh, the team's you know narrative points for their own selfish means, which could That's, happen. That we're, we're yeah, seeing like a little bit less of that nowadays. Well, because Bruce, you were sitting there saying that they have this thing called the common bond. Um, you are far more familiar with Savage Worlds than I am, sir. Is this like a game mechanic that just everybody has or is that like um... it's a it's an edge so you know oh, okay you like a levels, okay you can take that most people don't take it because there's so many other edges that they see as yeah, being yeah. more immediately important but i you know because i understand the narrative style of the game i'm always like somebody should be taking this especially the person who normally doesn't get into combat the person who's more, you know, the the buffer, the the uh, support person, the 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 person who does all the the um, uh, perception type skill yeah. checks, things like that. That's the person who should be, you know, using be, having the common bond because they're not going to be using their their uh, uh, their bennies like other people will, especially yeah. the fighter types. And you just reminded me again of the leverage RPG because there was there's basically you know five classes essentially in that game, but the mastermind class, a lot of their abilities that they can pick up are strictly meant to be used as in 
oh, the, the grifter's in a situation where they need to act like a cat burglar. I'm on the radio with a cat burglar. Cat burglar can give their dice to the grifter. Okay, kind of like to aid another mechanic in OGL. Yeah, yeah. A lot yep. of that class is meant about letting characters swap their uh, benefits back and forth across each other, assuming they're in contact over radio, which the game assumes they are. So you, yeah. if you want to prevent that as a storyteller, you have to take measures to prevent that. And then you're, you're already kind of getting up, why, 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 why you're doing that? It's good for narrative scenes, but... Yeah, yeah. I, I just, yeah, it's, oh, what was it? Um, Yeah, in the end, it's like if you have such a thing where you are sharing a pool of benefits that, like, Benny's in the common bond for Savage Worlds. Yeah, if you're doing that, you're getting that one guy who's, come on, give me another Benny, I want to do this. That's either, that there there should be either a mechanic within that mechanic to say you can only, like, borrow from... A number of players equal to this stats modifier, or you roll a die on this modifier to help, or it's just the GM, you know, if there's no inborn uh, safety protocol, just the GM is like, okay, you know what, other people want to use these bennies. You're going to have to face the fact that you didn't quite make the chandelier and you're now falling. Yeah, that that's either something within the rule, or just the GM setting a foot down, yeah. The the game system is, you know, it has a lot of uses for bennies. The biggest use of bennies is uh the probably the most important use of bennies is the soak rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which allows yeah, yeah. you to absor- you know not take wounds. Okay. Um so you know, most people use their initial bennies to try to re-roll failures of either attacks or or perception checks or things like that, you know. Uh it's only when the rubber, you know, hits the road, things yeah. get nasty that these, you know, how many, how many bennies do I have start coming into effect, you know, so, and even, you know, and if you get hit hard enough, usually it's like, I'm trying not to die or I'm trying not yeah. to be disabled. I might end up with like one or two wounds anyways, but at least I'm not, you know, laying unconscious on the ground. I can participate. So, you know, it, it's not some kind of get-out-of-jail-free thing, though sometimes it does happen that way when someone goes says, okay, I'm going to take one of my bennies and soak five wounds. And I've seen it happen at my table, and I'm just like, really? <laughs> It, it kind of reminds me of your one player that, okay, I want to do everything by drones because I don't want to get hit and all that. Uh, yeah. Yes. yeah. Let me guess, same player? Uh, no. I, okay, but, all right, all right. Yeah, no, that's not, not the same player, but it should be. You're wondering why it isn't. Yeah, it's like, wait a minute, yeah, who's well, usually one because, that does it? Yeah. Because they'd rather take that edge and put it into, you know, um, signature weapon where they get another... You know, another plus two to hit or something yeah. like that. They never think about how this can really, you know, change, you know, the outcome for the group if they, you know, if they keep, if they do this. And it's like also in the same game system, they have this thing called luck and great luck. Okay. The more, you know, the, if you, those are two separate edges that you can only take at certain levels, you know, whatever. But the point here is, is it gives you at great luck to like two extra bennies. And you're like, well, what's two bennies? Well, as you can see, it can make a big difference. Yeah. You know, when when it's a critical roll and you can just basically give somebody two more tries to get it, you know, and you have open-ended dice rolls where they can, you know, the the rolls the dice they roll can go really high. 
you know, it can it can make the difference. So, yeah, most people just don't they don't feel it, so they don't see it, so they don't do it. <laughs> yeah, and it's just because it 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 it's yeah, you are trying to promote your own character, but there's also the idea of promoting the group dynamic to you know, not only in characters but in players helping each other go. It's like, okay, this guy needs to jump on the chandelier and swing down to save me because I'm about to, you know, get this, that, or the other done to me. I'll give you the Benny to help you out so you can, you know, save my bacon. You know, yeah, that there, there seems to be where I, there's an underlying thing I'm seeing here with a lot of these is the players. They're only in the group dynamic, not as a group, but it's like. Okay, no, they're not as a group. They're just individuals happen to be doing things together with other people. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's, it's also something the... very hard to teach players. Yeah, and... and it's not just a character dynamic. You know, oh, we have a bunch of lone wolves who all have a common enemy. Common enemy. Let the mouth works. We all know this, right? And and probably the the biggest thing that has made it possible is the adoption of assist mechanics. Where you can say, well, I'm going to help so-and-so do something because I don't really have any skills that directly, you know, that can directly win this situation, but I can assist them. So if I make, you know, make this basic roll, they get a plus two. So therefore, they win, I win. They get the win, I get the assist, yeah. Because in D&D, they didn't even have, really didn't even have it in 3.0. No, they no, no, 3.0, they had the eight, another maneuver you made. At least it was for combat. It's a... Uh... You make a roll against AC-10, and it gives them a plus two to their armor class at the end of the next turn. And I think they also later advanced it to skills where if you... And it's something I use repeatedly. Like, let's say... Okay, in my Sunday group, let's say all of them... One of them has a really high... Has the highest Intimidate score. Everyone else behind you just stands glowering at them behind the main meanie. All of you roll an Intimidate. If you hit DC-10, you add a plus two to... You know, Jeff's role is Knuckles DeLucci. And there are times that if it's five other people, okay, you now have plus 10 to the role that you have normally because you got four other equally nasty-looking people ready to scare the crap out of this guy. So, yeah, the eight another tactic has... the the, 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 the What's the term? The mechanic has been there since 3.0. It's okay, just which, they've adopted We're talking, it, yeah. what, 1990? 2000, when the OGL okay, so came so 25 out. years ago. Yeah. Okay, all right. Ish, okay. yeah. All right. <laughs> But I, okay, but what I'm saying though is, is that it's never been promoted the way that it should have been, and yeah. you know, and and of course, modern games have to promote that, yeah, because that's what makes the games work because they're co-op because they really are doubling down on the idea that these are cooperative games. Yes, cooperative storytelling. Yes. We always yeah. gave we always gave mouth service to this is a group effort where you know a cooperative game, whatever. But you know. You know, you yeah. Know, it's, it's, it's like, like you know, you don't have to run faster than the uh, the owl bear. You just I just have to run faster than, than you. Yeah. You. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, that makes me think of like uh, using modern fifth edition D anD D with the bard and making the bardic inspiration and just the inspiration mechanic in general just a big deal. I mean, you know, inspiration was you know add you know d six to your roll. Or at least for the bardic inspiration was oh like inspire courage and inspire competence okay yeah 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 well now it's just straight you gained bardic inspiration the bard sings you a song and you have an extra d6 on your next attack or your next saving throw whatever you want to use it for and you could you know bank it and save it for later and it's a whole class about 
giving people bonuses to their role. Well, that's what the Bard's always been. He's been the buffer. Yeah. <laughs> the buffer of the mouthpiece, yeah. Well, once it became a character class, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's great, okay? I also think that the GM, you know, GMs need to get out of 1980 and, and start using <laughs> yep. it on yep. their side, too, because stop running, you know, stop having your your players fight one guy as, as the final battle, but instead have a squad where they're all, you know, they got the chorus in the background buffing the, you oh, know, the, the yeah. fighters on the, on the other side. I mean, that is some, that is something I have been doing recently, mainly because of, uh, Carrie, my one Thursday and Friday game or the roommates, former girlfriend with, yeah, she buffs. She'll, she'll have characters like in the Thursday superhero game and the Friday game of the Hinterlands. Yeah, I'm doing things to set you guys. Either, you know, it's coming up with four shields in front of you if they hit you while you're, you know, trying to do your thing. Or we use the Akashic Veils from uh, Akashic Mysteries from Dream Scarred Press. Where, yeah, I can bestow this upon you and you get a plus five to your armor class or whatever. And, yeah, so it's that buffing kind of... Um, that that's their job. They just buff other people. For a while there in third edition, that's what the clerics did. They had all these buffing spells. You know, the clerics in the of, back keeping the fighters yeah, hale and hearty. They yes. took it away yeah. in fifth edition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of shifted over. Like certain paladins get it as like an aura effect, and well, the aura. Yeah, what was it that the paladins get in OGL? I think it's um. I mean, they're immune to fear and disease, and they'll give, like, the plus-four morale bonus against fear and emotion-based effects. Their aura of courage. That's what it was called. Yeah, aura and, of courage. And, and they've kind of shifted around. Like, I think there's certain uh, subclasses of barbarian that get, like, an inspiring roar or something like that. Okay, yeah. 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 Paladins can now cast Bless, you know, which makes oh, a I lot thought, of sense. You, I you, thought know, they... you, you and your and your surrounding buddies yeah. all, you know, get this bonus from the paladin who prays to his deity. So, yeah. Yeah, I think they had something like that. Well, I think a zero-level paladin spell is blessed. So, technically, yeah. It just with... Yeah, but when you're changing the focus from, you know, the bard used to do this, would sit there and play in his mandolin or his lyre there and, you know, be hopping around like Jaskier and the Witcher and... You know, everybody gets a bonus, and then you change that to another character. Yeah, if you don't give that other character class something to replace that or give him something equally useful, you just nerf one of the biggest things of the Bard. He is the buffer. He's Yeah, the, usually the Bard is the buffer well, and okay, the diplomat. Well, yeah. Let, let's not try to fix others right, yeah, yeah. on okay. this episode, okay? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> We're just talking about what they have to offer and how they differ from each other, especially in the area of of um, you know dr dramatic cinematic yeah. type things. That also brings up another dynamic I wanted to talk about in, in different types of systems was class based versus skill based. Um, because you know we're t we've been talking about D and D and it's very much a class based system and yeah, uh, the same for the leverage RPG. Uh, yeah, the leverage RPG and and many others where you you are you pick an archetype for your character and. All your options from then on are based on following that archetype and just making it stronger. Maybe pointing it in one or two different directions, but it's always you are the fighter or you are the cleric. And then you have the, the more skill-based RPGs, which the first one that comes to mind is, is the Tritech system. And I think GURPS as well is another one that comes to mind as a skill-based system where it's more about what skills you pick. And you can really pick any skills you want, so you can be really good with guns. And praying. 
you might not be good at surviving, but you, you know, and that's. But none of those skills helped. You know, none of those skills were basically buff skills to other people, other than reducing the other side's effectiveness. Yeah. By in you know by knocking them out or knocking them apart or, or something, and that was something that the the any version of Tritech system you want to say has not had is is been this kind of synergy where other people get to assist, you know, and mm. especially ones who are not designed to be combatants. Yeah, that's true. Because yeah, the the most you might have is. I'll be a distraction and get them to shoot at me while you run and run around and yeah. from behind or something. Like, yeah, there wasn't a, a hard mechanic for assisting or buffing another player so much. Right. But yeah, because I, and I think of like, again, GURPS, there isn't really a skill around buffing other players, but you can get advantages and abilities yeah, yeah. to do yeah. so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if when you talk about a class-based system, it's if you want to help somebody else, you're pretty much playing a bard or cleric paladin if you only want to help a little bit and 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 that's what i'm seeing also with like current D&D 5th edition D&D is where they're starting to blend these archetypes a little bit more and we have you know fighters who are taking on aspects of like the wizard class or rogues who are taking on aspects of a cleric class and stuff like that where it's where they're starting to blend these archetypes and it's to me, it's kind of like, well, why even have the archetypes if you're just going to blend them already? Yeah, it's just pick abilities. It's almost like, um, oh, God, uh, Guardians of Order, where you can just, oh, it's a point-based system, and I'm going to buy, I have this class, but I'm going to buy this ability because I have the points for it. Yeah, the, like the play D20 stuff I sent you, Jonathan, a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that basically, that's just Guardians of Order under OGL and... Um, D20 PFSRD published. Yeah. That's, that's all GURPS did was, you know, you, yeah. you have these points and you just say, all right, I have my character. I want to buy telepathy and I get all these abilities under telepathy. And, yeah. Or, you know, the telepathy power and then I can buy abilities specifically under telepathy. Yeah. The like skills, that. that would be skill based, but you still had to buy that original. Uh, that original power. Yeah. Right? And then yeah. you build up the separate skills in that. Yeah. It, it's kind of like Star Wars D20. You had to buy, get the control, four sensitive control, alter, and sense. And then you, once you had those feats, then you could build up the skills for the force power. So yeah, it's kind of a mixture of class and skill-based buffs, yeah. There's no point in having a class system if you don't have class protection. There has to be, you know, it's, it's a philosophical point of view that you have to embrace or not. If you don't go with classes, then you're basically the GM saying, you know, I it's really great that you have this ability, but it's basically the same thing as the other guy, okay? And it's like having two fighters. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? But, you know, if there's other things that are missing, maybe you could take stuff in that direction and make that your primary You don't want thing. that to step on the other guy's toes. That's something I bring well, up in my games, yeah. It's just a matter of... of, of you. Gap analysis, okay, yeah. which is taken out of the business world. Yeah. You find out where your holes are and fill them, okay? At the, and at the same time is that, you know, you if you put a, a you know, if you put a Porsche engine with four hundred horsepower in a car that's never supposed to go over thirty-five, how have you made the situation better? I yeah. mean, it's gonna sound cool, 
I mean, there's no question it's until you move forward and then rip the car apart under its own forces. Well, that could happen too. But I'm just saying is that you know sometimes people do things because they think it makes them look cool. Yeah, and and but it doesn't actually, you know, it's not advantageous to the group or to the game because later on they they may find out that their skills or whatever don't work together the way they wanted them to. So, but. And that's the whole point of classes. Classes was just to make it easy for people to say, hey, I want to be awesome, but different from everybody else. Well, here you go. You can be, uh, you can be a paladin, or you can be you know, a, a rogue, or you can be a cleric, you know, of, of many different styles and whatever like that. And everybody felt confident that they had something about them that was unique and awesome. And then they did in Pathfinder, they did mainly... To, for two reasons. One, to uh, get rid of all the damn splat books. Pathfinder didn't. I mean, they had them, but it was like combat, magic, I hate wilderness. Splat books. Oh no, three zero and three five. That's one of the reasons why I went to Pathfinder because there were just so many damn splat books. But the archetypes also, you could have a party that only had one or two. Cl- so let's say you had three fighters and two wizards, five players. But with the archetypes, you could switch out class features and class skills and weapon and armor proficiencies. And those three fighters and those two wizards would still be five different characters because they're not all from the stock fighter and from the stock wizard. So that was yeah. another thing to help, you know, what's I think, diversify, you know. Yeah, and I think the, the idea of the subclasses in 5e does great at that is, is you know, you can have two fighters who are very different builds. Uh, my only complaint about it is like i said where you're we're starting to see these these new cl- subclasses come out in these splat books which are about really it's just about emulating like very specific pop culture characters there's one that's uh, uh they were, yeah. they, well the one that comes to mind is they um they did an unearth arcana and i don't know if it's shown up in in any of the splat books yet or i'm sorry expansions or supplements um where it, the psychic fighter which when you really look at it, it's just a Jedi. That's what it is. It's a fighter who uses... You do abilities. You do realize that starting in 3E, all of the game designers were just calling back on their pop culture stuff from the 80s. Oh, yeah. But that's the thing. It's like, okay, I get it. You want to play a, you know, you want to play a Jedi in, in Dungeons & Dragons. That, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's fine. Yeah. But... What happens is if you do that too much, you get to these. You you start to again. You start to lose that class protection because what do you what do you call a you know a fighter that can cast wizard spells and yeah. can still use armor and and it's 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 one of those things where it's it is where I get I love the idea of class based systems for very specific settings like D and D and fantasy. You if I want to run a fantasy campaign, I'm going to look to D and D first because yeah, well, yeah. It's yeah. the most experienced, so to speak. It's it's the one that's been developed the longest for fantasy setting. Right. But if I'm running something a little bit more modern, where I don't necessarily want these super-powered heroes, I'm probably going to pick a skill-based system and just not worry about archetypes. And if certain characters step on toes, I'm not going to stress that too much because it's a modern setting. Yeah, for me, I, I bring that up. I, I have the issue of too many characters having the same ability. Unless you want to go in as a company of sorcerers, even then you're all going to pick different skills or wizards. You're going to say, okay, we have, we're playing all wizards. 
you're an abjurist, you're a transmuter, you're an evoker, you're an illusionist, and you're the necromancer. Fine, you yeah. still have enough diversity to do that, but I, I'm the type of GM, you know, I'll, I'll say it nice at first, and you don't step on the other player's toes, we already have somebody who does that. It just, if you want to play this character, you have, one, you're stepping on their toes, two, doing this particular thing not only steps on their toes, but the character concept that you told me, it doesn't fit. You're trying to be the everyman to be able to do everything all at once. That that that's not the teamwork, and it's your 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 term you use, Bruce. I'm gonna start using a gap analysis. Yeah, and just yeah, I've had to do yeah. that in my game with a couple players where they wanted to be, and we're talking the original group, right? My 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 peeps from you know 35 years ago, and I said this person can already do this. You don't need to do it too. And they actually did. Well, what if they mess up? Then they mess up. That's called life. Just yeah, it, yeah. And that was the kind of thing, like, it, luckily in, in, in my groups, usually I did character creation, at least the very first, because usually character creation was like, we'd get together and talk about the characters in a session zero, but they wouldn't actually build them until like the next week or two. But usually everyone was cool about selecting, you know, their own niche for their character and their own unique path and not, you know, stepping on each other's toes very much like, oh, well, I want to play the mage. I, I want to play the 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 fighter type i want to play the the more researcher type you know and and that was very easy and even in you know in both you know class based or skill based systems it was very easy as long as everyone went into it agreeing that you know hey we want to cover all of our bases or or hit a, a bunch of different specializations but yeah if you end up with a situation where everybody wants to play the big grizzled fighter type you either got to you know accept that and again just say okay well you're all the big grizzled fighter type and you're going to have to come up with your own ways of standing out from one any, one another in some other way if not you're playing paranoia yeah yeah <laughs> or you just you know enforce the rules like okay you all can't play the big fighter type you go you somebody's got at least we need some diversity type. here yeah. <laughs> yeah it's the old rule strength is in diversity folks yeah, but yeah, yeah that gen con would disagree with you there because <laughs> they used to have- they used to have a uh, an adventure that was always sold out every single year, which is where they had a uh, they had an adventuring party that were all monks, and you know that was the, that was just the whole point of it was that we're all monks and we're going in and we're going to take care of business. Yeah, but still, and again, as long as there's something that differentiates the monks from one another, I'm cool with that. Yeah, I, right. I'm sure there idea. Is. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure there is. I'm sure it's magic items and, and or, or certain abilities or this one does this. Or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but it was. We always thought it was funny at the very beginning because they they've been doing that since first edition, <clears throat> back when a monk was a monk was a monk. <laughs> and all the different them was was what equipment they had you know the magic items so it's gotten a lot better so wait a minute Um, you're you got these four monks and each of them use a different weapon and why do they have different colored bandana you know eye slip bandana wait a minute yeah yeah they they all wear their shields on their back (laughs) they're kind of domed and 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 kind of scaly like and yeah one guy's got yeah yeah i I think we're saying the same thing one guy's got two sigh one guy's got some nunchucks and they all wear a, you know, they all wear a, 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 a colored band around their head. Tie. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think we're saying. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, um, so, you know, in all these games, you know, uh, it's, it's going to have to, you know, basically, it's, it's going to have to be a, a group thing with the players and, and, the, uh, and the GM. Because uh, if the uh, advancement system, because, you know, you, you can make your characters all, at first level, 
all very different and you have wonderful protection, you know, um, uh, class protection or whatever you want. Role protection is probably a better term. Um, mm, yeah. And But then as you progress, people are seeing other people do awesome things. They want to get in on that. And then they start taking, in, in, in skill-based things, they start taking the same skills. You know, they may be lagging yeah. behind the guy who's really super great or the girl who's like, you know, super caster, but they're picking it up. You know, and uh, and then you end up with basically, you know, a whole bunch of people that, you know, there's, they all do one thing really well, and then they do everything that everybody else does not so well, <laughs> you know, and, and you end up with a kind of, um, you know, it, it becomes a bit of a, uh, a hetero, heterogeneous. Yeah, it's kind of like Doc Savage and the Fantastic Five, where they were specialists, the top of their field at one thing. Yeah. But yeah. I'm just saying is, is that it's really easy to to ruin that class protection in a skill-based system uh, because people can literally take the same skills you had at first level and usurp you, okay? Yeah. And um, Yeah, if you're not progressing it yourself. And, and it also going, means yeah. that you're failing to progress what you originally started off doing, which means now you have a hole, but you may not realize it. Yeah. You get to sixth level, and people are hitting you with 40 points of damage, and the best you got is like, you know, a D8 healing uh, <laughs> instead of like 3D8 healing like you're supposed to have because you haven't been keeping your 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 advancement up. Uh, yeah, it could, it could be a real <clears throat> problem. And that makes, and that brings me up something because I've been, I've been slowly every so often in, in my free time to like kind of developing my own little RPG system. And uh, right now it is skill based, and I, one of the things I wanted to do for it, and I, I thought of that specific situation. I was like, how do you keep people from all kind of just merging in on the same, you know, skill sets that end up getting used every session? Was having the progression based on usage. Like every time you don't, you can put experience points into a skill, but I wanted it to be using the skills what progresses it as opposed to yeah i so. yep i use that when i level up my carrier said well you guys were using acrobatics a lot so needless to say with the practice in game you know you might want to dump a couple of your skill points into that skill yeah. since you've been using it and i did that with jeff the ref and knuckles the chicago stool pigeon yeah. And, oh, yeah, jumping through fantasy sewers and, okay, you've been rolling that acrobatics roll a lot. You know, you just <laughs> leveled, Jeff. You might want to put a few of the skills in acrobatics that you've been using that predominantly in this adventure. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And I had the idea that, well, I'll just put that in mechanically. Like, every time you critically succeed or critically fail a, a skill roll, you gain a point in that skill. And once you, you know, points equal the current skill level, you level up that skill. Oh, okay. All right. So, like. The skills you're using the most, which are probably going to be the ones you have the most skill points already in, are the ones that are going to progress faster. They they do level out as you get higher, but yeah. again, if you're high enough, you're going to probably still be using them frequently, pre presuming the GM gives you the opportunity. Yeah. yeah. So, Jonathan, okay, you know, there's a bunch of systems out there right now that basically you, you start the game... And you pick up, you create your characters, and then you go to the second phase of character creation, where you basically establish your relationships to all the other players in the game. Okay, mm. and you can create some really rich, tight, loyal, and you know motivated connections that way. 
But then as the game progresses, I haven't seen any kind of a mechanic to actually make that better. Um, is there I... is there anything out there that does that? I have no doubt there is. But I can't, yeah, I can't think of specific examples because again can you suggest the, the first thing that you would can, like to happen the one example of one where they specifically set up building the relationships that i can think of is again the the leverage rpg where the very first game session you play with these characters is where you're building them and establishing their relationships with each other at the same time basic premise being like you 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 say i want to play the hitter you know i'm the big tough guy but then as you go through your first session, that's the only stat you have is you're the hitter. You don't know what your secondary you know, specialization is in. And so the storyteller is meant to give each player a, you know, a spotlight scene where they show off their abilities and a, they pick another character to come along with them. And if that character wants to, at the end of that little spotlight scene, they can say, okay, yes, I'm also the secondary hitter. You know, I, you know, I'm primarily this, but because I helped you on this scene, that established me as this being exceptionally skilled at this as well. It's it's my secondary specialization. And so there, and that gives them some kind then, of a bonus moving forward. No, it, that was literally just them creating the character. Um, okay, and go ahead. and other other things that you di usually did in that was that as you played through your, the, that first session, if you had a, a quirk that you know other players would tell you what your quirk is. Usually based on what you did in a scene. Like, Collaborative character creation. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you picked your primaries, you know, I want to be the hitter. So, and, but other players would say, okay, yeah, you're the hitter, but, you know, you also, you know, you're an alcoholic. <laughs> based on the fact that I, I like the idea that you, you know, didn't turn down the drink in this scene. So, yeah, yeah. we're going to say you're the, but okay, yeah, you're thinking kind of about going forward. My question there, John. Well, I, that's what I'm saying though. Uh, I can't think of beyond that first session where any of that mattered, aside from the creation of the character. And, and I've never, I can't think of any systems off the top of my head where the relationships between players, well, I can think of one now that I'm thinking about it, because I think Cortex actually did this. And, and again, we're still talking about Cortex, but they actually did have one example of an RPG you could use where because Cortex is a trait-based system, one of the traits is your relationship to the other character. So, like, my relationship to this character is this trait, and my relationship to this character is this trait. And so, it you know, your relationship to other characters in the group could be one of the dice you use in resolving situations. But that's very niche, very, you know, that would be... I don't see too many games where that... That is that would be a game where the relationships are the primary focus, so to speak, of yeah. the game, as opposed to just sort of a side mechanic or a, 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 a helpful mechanic or supporting mechanic is what I meant to say. I can't think of any systems where your relationship to the other characters is not the focus, but still important. Okay. I, I can think of a couple. Uh, please, I please. I wasn't playing on answering my own question, but... Uh, <laughs> All right. First, I'm, I'm 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 drawing a blank. So you all right. Please, first of all, okay, it's just like these edges, you know, in Savage Worlds and other games like that. Okay, this is like a social edge that also could affect other things. So, for example, is is that you could say that after a certain period of time, you know, the per 
if you're always working with another another character, you could say that you have built a, uh, a, syn uh, a synergy with that character. So that if you do do the assist action with that character, they get a bigger bonus if you succeed. Okay. So, you know, and it's not for everybody, just that one character, because you've been giving that relationship and you've been working with their their style, whatever it is that they do, you know, when trying to assisting them. So you you basically understand them and how they act so you can better assist them is basically what I'm saying. And so this could be every so often you give somebody a synergy type edge like this that would allow the, allow you to do a better job. Yeah, of now that I think about them. it. I think I have seen that kind of, of trait or advantage in other RPGs. I want to say GURPS and, and Cortex as well, actually, I think now. But yeah, it it's, it was an edge it was or advantage, yeah. Right. And, you know, and, and, and maybe it should be, you know, in like Savage Worlds, you know, maybe it'd be extra or, may, you know, like you just get it every so often. You just, like once you go up a... Uh, tier in Savage World, they have tiers. Um, then maybe you get this one of these edges. You can basically say, "I have a synergy with this person." Okay. Um, another possibility is is that every so often you gain a new connection to somebody outside the group. So you know, and it's and it should be somebody that you've had an interaction with in the event, in, in not necessarily the current adventure, but overall. Now this doesn't work well with a game like Leverage, which is caper built and everything separate. But I'm yeah. just saying is that if you're doing like a, a any kind of a fantasy campaign or something like that, there may be people that you interact with, you know, NPCs. Uh, uh, subject matter experts or whatever on a, a regular basis. So you can then claim that you have a relationship with this person, which means that when you need their help, you can call on and expect the GM to say, okay, they take your call. Uh, hero system. I mean, they had, you bought with points dependent. They were usually gaining points like dependent NPCs, but you, I think you could also buy, you know, um, a contacts or, you know, somebody who could assist you in some way, you know, in, in the, in the hero system. So, you know, as you, so as you went up in level, you know, went up in experience and gained, you know, points, uh, power points you could use, you could spend it on these things. So, I'm just saying is that this is a way of enlarging your social relationships, you know, I mean, you know, one in between the players by giving them increased bonuses to assisted play. And secondly, by reaching out and pulling in resources from people outside the, the group of troubleshooters, you know, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, and so there are resources you can call on. Believe me, I know that, you know, that, uh, that in Bureau 13, people would love to be able to say, I know somebody in the Vindicators, you know, the X team, and, and I can call in an X team if we really need it. I mean, I have a reasonably friendly relationship with, with somebody in the local witches' coven. Uh, I could use some magical help. You know? Yeah, somebody who will, you know, either give you expert advice or somebody who might be able to give you a potion, uh, a protection of some kind, a buff of some kind. You know, you know, just 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 imagine. I don't know how they did it in the um, uh, the the various incarnations of oh, uh, Big Trouble in Little China. 
but you know the the the, the five demon bag, you know, in the in the juice that they gave all the fighters before they went in to fight. Oh you know? yeah, the guy did it help? Egg, egg, was it just yeah. bakery? I don't know. No one yeah. knows. All we know is they won. Okay. And they were certainly a lot more confident after they drunk it. So, you know, it's, as the saying goes, you know, um, uh, how do you know, you know, uh, if someone goes and, and tells you that putting a, a raw egg into his shoe helps him run faster, you know, you're like, well, how do you know it's true or not? It says, well, if he starts beating you on the track field, then maybe you might want to consider you know, it, it being true. <laughs> So it's kind of one of those things where a buff a buff can be subtle or it can be very overt. So, but I think that by enlarging your social network, making it more dramatic, therefore having you know having somebody call you know even having the ability to call somebody in at the last moment, you know to change to you know to change the dynamic of the final you know uh, you know kind of a just in time uh, relationship with somebody. I mean that that's smacks of exdius machina, and there's a lot of players who would feel that they lost agency by doing by allowing somebody to do that. Yeah, okay. yeah, that see and that would have to be used. That. But other people might say, yeah, you know, he says let's let's get the band back together again, and let you know when when the chips are down, and let's go do it. You know, so it kind of falls into your your play style and your care and your and your players, but just having them available. For you, for whatever resources they provide as a relationship, I think would be a good thing, and it would it just be another thing to put in the toolkit, another relate, and it'd be a relationship they have to keep up, of course. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Says you know where were you know it says hey I want you to send you know send send us a couple armored cars. He says I noticed you didn't come to my daughter's wedding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I was you know I was. I had bubonic plague that weekend. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, I mean. Time to make that persuasion. That would definitely be more the dramatic side of it, you know. Tell tell you what, you know, I'll make sure for, you know, your cousin's wedding that you have, I'll bring a really good. How can I make this up to you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, and then you've got, you, you, you've got your next mission (laughs) right there, you know. Because you know if they're gonna because you want you want their help right now, so they're gonna want you to do something right now, and uh, and you got all the complications of, of of who they are and 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 what who they're uh, connected to, so the GM gets to have, make these enormous webs of relationships you know in his game world, which before you know it was all something that he did in order to build build adventures okay but now you know it's something that the players are actually reinforcing or feeding and i've always felt that there was also a huge lack in games like uh, cyberspace and cyberpunk where you're you're a bunch of troubleshooters but you can't talk to anybody once they gave you the mission i always yeah. felt that was totally lame you know is well something something i i did when i was doing my little um cortex versions of bureau 13 was I gave the agents a handler. They there was a dedicated handler that okay, I like they that. They were yeah. in contact with that. You know, if they made a re- if they had a request they wanted to make, the handler was the one who they would talk to. If they had a you know a supplies they wanted, or if they wanted some more information or anything, they could just ask the handler. It was a way for the them to you know 
get my help as a GM, so to speak. Yeah. But I could limit it however much I felt right to. If, if the handler can't access the information over the internet, yeah. the handler can't do anything for him. You're going to... That's why you're there, guys. You're there to be the foots on the ground. <laughs> no, you're not getting a thermobaric weapon to take out a coven. No. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's always been. <laughs> but uh, it, there's a sh- television show right now that basically is uh, a really, you know, kind of deals with this very situation. And I think we're on a tangent here. Uh, but uh, it's called Monarch. And it's basically all about finding, you know, a, a Godzilla and the other kaiju. And it's on Apple TV, I believe. Or oh, this is the one with Kurt and Wyatt Russell playing the same character 50 years apart. Yes. Yeah, I've heard of it. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's not important. What's important is the fact is that you've got this organization that's been clandestine all this time. And now all of a sudden, you know, they're, 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 you know, there's this, this group of people that have become aware that there's something, there's a group that, and, and they're trying to find their father, who's like a deep researcher for Monarch, you know, and they're being very, very effective. And they're like saying, well, we've got, you know, we don't want these kids involved, literally, you know, 20 or somethings. Uh, we don't want them involved in stuff that they don't know anything about. But damn it, they're being effective. They're doing better than we yeah. are. <laughs> it's like, so they end up like throwing resources their way and stuff like that. So, you know, and, and to me, it, it kind of, and eventually they even go public. They say, hi, we're Monarch. We're, you know, we're, we're the world response to the Godzilla thing. And, you know, sorry, we, just announced to everybody over the world that there was a Godzilla sighting, you know, because somebody hacked the system and turned that on. Um, yeah. But they don't say that. He says, but we just want you to know that, you know, that that even though it was false, there's a system in place to make sure that you're warned. So think it is a good thing. And they basically go public in that sense. But then they immediately shut up and quiet. No one knows what's going on. I'm saying the Bureau in many ways is like this, okay? And other organizations, like I say, in cy- uh, cyberpunk and, uh, you know, where you've got these big multinational corporations that are trying to do things and they get these agents to do things. But like it's, it, 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 it seems wrong to me that they just cut them adrift as soon as they give them the job because these jobs are supposed to be super important, at least, you know, because you're, you're the player characters. You want to be doing stuff that's actually important. So it just seems like it doesn't make sense. And having a having a handler part of the team is is a is a nice way of doing it, you know. Or just simply having you know one person who can act as a resource who may not know everything, but they know enough that they can help them in 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 certain circumstances. So I'm just saying is that you know that's again we're creating relationships to people outside the of the core team who can assist them in a way that drives that that is being driven by the narrative by the actions of the players and makes sense rather than just being exdius mocking us stuff that you know we don't want i'm going to get off my soapbox all right well yeah uh, any other thoughts any other ideas well, you never really said what were the best uh, narrative uh, and uh, uh, cinematic systems out there. I mean, you know, you, you mentioned a couple of systems, but are they actually the best? I don't know. I see the thing is, I don't want to. I don't want to say there's a best. I just want to say is the the big thing I wanted to talk about was just that there are these differences and where I think they 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 shine and they and they falter. Like I think class based systems are great when you're doing these heroic 
storylines uh, or you want to play these overpowered heroic uh, characters. I like skill-based systems when you're playing more ordinary Joes, you know, everyday people, everyday heroes, you know, or you're struggling to survive against, you know, unspeakable odds against you. Usually when it comes to like fantasy, I want the class type, I want the, the narrative more. Although we have this tradition now, thanks to D&D, where fantasy equals strategic tactical combat, which I'm not always particularly a fan of, but I, I, I can get into it because it is such an established part of the tradition. Uh, but if I'm doing sci-fi, even when I'm doing archetypes, I, not necess- I don't necessarily want like deep strategic combat because we have laser guns. And why do I, what does it really matter? If, you know, I'm exactly 10 feet away from the guy when I shoot my laser gun? Uh, it was when they used the uh, Weathermaker machine and uh, <laughs> uh, weapon in Bureau 13. That, that's true. You better be. You better make sure you're not too close. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was some serious messed up stuff. And, that was, and that's the other thing is like with Bureau 13 being a, a more, you know, simulationist, uh, realistic system I and, and skill-based, I never worried about where my characters were in combat i just kind of did theater of the mind combat and said okay well you're behind this tree 10 feet away from the opponent there this person's behind a you know hiding behind a a a wall 20 feet away i don't have to pull out a map grid to see exactly you know i got it in my head and if you guys want to see it you know i can draw a quick map for you to you know so you can get an idea of but the tactical you know how far can i move in, in in each round and stuff like rarely came up and I think that's a big thing. Is like once modern firearms comes into play, tactical. Oh no! Then all then then your your game dynamic and your narrative and cinematic, yeah, it changes. I mean, yeah. that's one of the biggest things in the games I've seen transition from. Okay, you're playing a fantasy game, and you know, like three oh three five, and then D twenty modern came in because they introduced modern firearms in that. Now in three oh three five. The most you had was Renaissance era yeah, weapons, like the flintlock, snap. Yeah, and so that really didn't always that much come into play. But because modern firearms are so prevalent in games like D20 Modern, it was, okay, we have to make this standing rule set for all of it. You're going to need all the tactical stuff. You're going to need to know how far these bullets can fire in their range increment, and you had to do it. So out of a matter of necessity of just adding this component, this one simple component, gunpowder in its application, you had to bring in more crunch to deal with it. Yeah. Everybody has a ranged weapon now. Yeah. And it's one farther than any, not only, you know, uh, well, no, let's see, a longbow is a 110-foot range increment, but still just with how they work and positioning and tactical stuff, you had to make the rule set for them. You couldn't rely on really the same rule set and damage and all the other stuff from a crossbow. I mean, it, it, it comes to the point where you're either playing a, a, a miniature war game again, or you just abandon it and go theater of the mind. Right. And it also depends on your players. If they want to have that map... I... Oh no, I'm taking like five or six pictures a night if I'm doing a con- because at the most I may have one or two people in house. I I'm now I've pretty much gone exclusively Skype Discord, and that's just left over from the pandemic. Just yeah, 
but I'm having to take pictures. Okay, I'm racing off my graph paper. Okay, yeah, you've moved 15 feet diagonally. This guy's over here now. This this female character's over here. Yeah, I've had to do that. But because they're not sitting here, and just a lot of them are just like, okay, I need to have this um, frame of reference. Yeah, I'm drawing the maps. There has to be tactics. There ha Yeah. So for me, it's a necessity also because I don't have a lot of in-house gaming anymore. I think on my Friday game, the only one in-house is my coworker, Joe Moore. Other than that, first, she's at home with kids. Carrie's here. Gina's here. Courtney's down in Kentucky. So yeah, I have to, I have to be, there has to be a um, sense of tactical awareness so they just know what's going on. So by necessity, my games have become somewhat more simulation survival. But I, but that then that's my job to bring up that narrative side. Or okay, not bring it up as enforce a narrative, but to accentuate and perpetuate the players to get more narrative. Because I've had to bring up the tactical. If not, yeah, then it's just a tactics game, and a lot of them are just like, yeah, I want to do this, and I gotta, you know, okay, well, you have the rules, you can do this. So I've had to up my narrative uh, perpetuation game in my GMing because I've had to up the tactical simulation survival half with constant maps and yeah so again it's a again that what you want that's the GM knowing his players and knowing the situation and everything yeah like for me um you know when I when I'm playing D&D I usually have like a battle map I don't have miniatures but I usually have tokens or, or markers for the, the the characters and everything but yeah, yeah. If I'm playing Bureau 13 or anything modern day on up it's all theater of the mind. I just say, okay. Yeah, I don't use maps at all. Yeah, because it's for me, uh, and at least the the group of players I'm usually playing with, we're not t terribly worried about the the tactics of the combat. Usually, it's a shoot them till it's dead. We don't we don't care about you know strate strategy or, or tactics. We just want the thing, the big bad monster, to die as many in as many bullets as we can get in it. Yeah. 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 I recently actually, you know, had to do a battle map, and that was because they were fighting werebores that were essentially immune to their normal weaponry. Ah. And so they, you know, and they had to tear, uh, their their objective was to tear, cut loose or tear loose the tusks on the werebores, at least two of them, so that, because they needed these for spell components. And uh, so it caused them to literally be in, like, in, in in individual combat with some of them. Well, yeah. You know, trying to, as uh, in the Savage World system, trying to shake them. You know, not, they couldn't kill them, but they could make them, you know, stun them for a short yeah. period of time. Long enough for them to go over, grab that tusk, and chop it off. You know, and then, uh, and then retreat if they could. All uh, right, Bob, and, get out the coping saw. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I had to actually go and track them. But yeah. most of the time, it's really like, you know, hey, someone's attacking from over that way. Well, how far are they away? About 100 feet. Okay, well, I open up on them with my M16 rifle. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, I forgot of a, of a, a thing that I use in my games, and you know, with, to, to perpetuate. And it's a narrative, it's a narrative um, tactic in order to perpetuate the use of a a stat. I use the hero points, action points, whatever, and I ask my players, okay, I'm going to let you guys do something called a win moment. 
You all know what it is. You've all seen it in movies. It's where the hero usually says or does something that is badass. They may still lose, but it's letting the villains know, you haven't taken me out yet. This is my, you know, this may either whoop all your asses or it may be my last stand. And I give them examples. You know, Superman floating there in Superman 2, just outside the Daily General. Would you care to step outside? And the scene from Highlander 2, and yes, I know we don't talk about that movie this much, but it, it works for the... <laughs> what two? There can only be one, including the films. Yeah. Um, Endgame, um, where the two guys from Zeiss, you know, they're, you know, one gets his head taken off when McCloud does the wire and he's flying, and the other one lands and, you know, the train rolls over his head and sparks hit the gas truck, and so the one guy is there laughing, and he thinks, yeah, I got McCloud, he's in the explosion. Wait a minute. He just walked out of the fire, unburned, unharmed, young again, and you see that smirk on Christopher Lambert's face. Like, I'm back in the game. So what I do is, like, I, I get them to, okay, I want you to do the wild stuff. You burn a hero point. If you succeed, you don't lose the hero point. So it's a narrative function to perpetuate the mechanic, to get them to use the because then they get to, you know, it's their spotlight time. It's their time to bring the awesome to the session. Yeah, and that's been something I, I need I need to perpetuate that more, actually. I haven't used it in quite some time. Or otherwise, I just haven't reminded my players. You know, I still do win moments, you know. But yeah, that's kind of my way of balancing out, well, crunch and fluff, for lack of a better term. Give them the chance to do something narrative-wise to perpetuate a mechanical survival mechan- uh, survival mechanic. So I guess in my way, that's kind of how I balance the two concepts because we've been talking about what one versus the other and how can... Yeah. And the win moment for me is probably my mechanic for it. And I've had some win moments. It's like, yeah, I shadow jump and slide across the roof, and when I appear on the other shadow, I shoot the bullet and hit him in the eye, and the guy pulled it off. I said, oh, no. Oh, no. I looked at Brian, and I said, oh, no. I'll give you an extra one. That was beautiful. You made every roll in that thing. It worked off perfectly. You pulled off to a T. You get an extra hero point for that one. That was beautiful, Mr. White. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it, but it's to perpetuate, to balance that out. Because there is this this natural, I want to say, in, instinct or, or habit to just do what's in the rules. And we're seeing a lot more of games where, you know, they don't put so much in the rules, and which kind of helps. But it's the idea that if, you know, the players become super familiar with the rules, then they tend to only stick to what's possible in the rules as stated. And they don't right. really explore these possible awesome narrative moments that there isn't really a rule for. Which is, again, why, like I say, some of these games that don't even, they don't try and put everything in the rules. Because then the players, they, they I've noticed the players either don't try and do anything because they don't understand what they can do. Or they try everything, which I'd rather them try everything and me just saying, well, that's probably going to be a little hard to do, but you can give it a shot. <laughs> yeah, it's the whole point of the G. One of the biggest, and as I said, being autistic, this is a hard learned skill for me. Thinking on my feet. I can say this, and this will be the hill I die on, gentlemen and listeners. Being a game master for the past 35 years has been the thing that has helped me think on my feet more. And learn that otherwise, you know, for neurotypicals, it's a very much easier skill to learn. Me being neurodivergent, not quite so much. 
but game mastering has done that for me. And just things like that where Jonathan said, oh, well, if there's no rule, they don't do it because they don't know. It's either they just, lack of a rule means they can't do it, or they don't want to slow down the game while you sit there and make your decision, or, okay, then we make this new rule, and then it's like, okay, it's another rule, but it's not in the book, and you're going to get all variations on that. But yeah, it's, I think it's part player lack of the, fear of the unknown, and, well, I don't want to slow down the game and all this if I do this, because that means we got to plot out the rules instead of all being right there. Yeah. So it's kind of, I, I see it as a mix of those two reasons why players wouldn't do something like that. It's like, no, baby, just try it. I'll, I've got, I got an idea for how to roll for it. You yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. But that's a, a good GM learns to think on their feet. Yeah. We could probably continue talking for a while, but I think we do need to wrap this yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> because we got three grognards here who can talk forever if you, if you let yes. us. Yes. No, we haven't proven that now in 14 years. Yeah, yeah. Hey, 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 wait a second. I, I'm no grognard. At most, I'm a neckbeard. Okay, I was, fair, I was enough. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> All right. Well, we hope we've, um, at the very least, entertained you uh, and got you thinking about um, narrative systems as opposed to more simulation systems and what you like, what you don't like, and what setting you're playing, which type of system you might want. Because... The one thing I would recommend is don't try and take the, you know, fifth edition D&D and play a sci-fi adventure with it. You might be able to pull it off, but there's already a sci-fi adventure RPG out there that's easy to learn and probably similar enough to fifth edition D&D that you, you can learn it quickly. And it's going to be tailor-made for that sci-fi adventure. So don't think you have to stick with one system for all your games. Take a look at what is out there and you might find something that works so much better for what you're trying to do than than just trying to piece together what's already what you already know. That's probably my biggest lesson I want you to would want you to learn. Go out and take a look at all these new systems and see what you like and don't like. Jonathan, would you like me to give out contact info for the Yes, listener? I was actually about to ask. All right. If you have any questions about tonight's segments, fans of the Gaming of the Frontier podcast group on Facebook. Bureau 13 Agents Everywhere on Facebook. Fringeworthy RPG Fans on Facebook. TritacSystems.podbean.com. Comment section there. Um, We are on iTunes and Spotify. Please give us high reviews for our work here. And any questions, um, Bruce has been giving out his email now for years. So that, again, sir, bsheffer at AOL.com. That's S-H-E-F-F-E-R. I'm Trav. I'm 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 like McDonald's and Harry Potter. I'm everywhere. You can find me. I have a digital footprint. I will be more than happy to answer questions. Contact these two gentlemen here, and we'll you know hammer out an answer for you. And also, these contact points are for you to come at us with your ideas. We will bring them up on future episodes. We may even get you on here. We've gotten co-hosts due to that. So yes, by all means. Oh yeah, no, and we've 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 gotten some good people. We've gotten some characters, so yeah. Um, but yes, Jonathan, this is a wonderful topic. Thank you, sir, for this. Yeah, no problem, uh, Bruce. You want to take us out with the final words? Thanks, everyone, for uh, listening to us. Uh, we will have more for you next week, but you'll have to wait until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying. There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast 
is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.